Well, good evening. Glad everybody's here this evening, and if you are uh, visiting with us, uh, please understand I am not the regular evangelist, one of the two that we have that normally gets up here, but I do appreciate the elders giving the men an opportunity from time to time to get up here and be able to preach some sermons. Uh, Being a a teacher, I can tell you that the teacher is the one who learns the most, so I definitely appreciate that, Uh, but I hope I can share a little bit of what I've studied from the Word of God with you this evening. I appreciate uh, Jonathan leading that last song as well, Is Thy Heart Right With God? And that is kind of a question I want you to think about uh, throughout the lesson this evening. Two parts of it. Uh, is it right? And what does that mean? And we're going to look at some, some Bible passages that kind of help us understand that better. And is it right to God or with God? Right? Not to some other standard, but to God's standard, which of course is the written word the Bible. Uh, the title of the lesson this evening is Just Right, and most of us probably, we hear that phrase and we immediately think back to uh, the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears and how Goldilocks goes in and she sees some food on the table, three bowls, and we all know the story. One's not to her liking too cold, one's too hot, and then the one is just right, and that's the one she settles on, does the same thing with chairs and beds and so on. And if it sounds a little bit familiar, um, we had a lesson, series of lessons back, I think it was January, with uh, Brother Buddy Payne that used this kind of same concept when talking about some of the evidences of creation and, and the body uh, and our biology and everything is sort of set up just right. Um, so kind of take that. Uh, we're not going to study that this evening. I actually want to talk about uh, a little bit more along the lines of authority and understanding what God says and just right there. I have a verse, you shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandment of the Lord your God that I command you, Deuteronomy 4.2. And as we go through the lesson, what is just right? Not to Goldilocks, not what she thought was right, uh, not to us, what do we think is right, or what does somebody else think is right? Like, do we go with what Goldilocks says or some other person? But really, what is right with God? Let's look at some examples this evening, uh, and then look at things that aren't right, which I'll call wrongs, and then some applications for us is the outline of the lesson this evening. We already read um, John chapter 13, that passage there. If you want to turn there, got a lot of scripture in the lesson this evening. You got your Bibles or electronic versions, I encourage you to get them out and follow along with all the passages that I'm going to reference this evening. This is the story of uh, Peter um, having a, a conversation with Jesus about washing the disciples' feet. And normally this lesson is, is about some other things, about serving, and also talks a little bit about uh, Judas going to be betraying. But I've always found it interesting the way that Peter sometimes talks or the things that he says. Uh, he's bold enough to say some things, but Sometimes maybe he should have thought twice about what he says before he says it. Uh, And you can kind of see this conversation that he has here with Jesus. Uh, As Jesus uh, goes to do something, Peter in verse 8 says, You shall not wash my feet. Jesus says, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter basically tells him no. Uh, And Jesus, of course, has a response for that Uh, in verse verse 8. He goes, "If If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. That's a pretty bold rebuke. Uh, coming from Jesus. Uh, it seems that that got Peter's attention, and he responds, kind of the pendulum swings the opposite way. And he says, well, not my feet, then my hands, uh, my head, just everything. Just totally wash me if that's what it takes. And Jesus again says, that's not necessary. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm washing your feet as an example. Um, and that kind of reminds me of that story of Goldilocks. There's kind of two extremes 
but what's right is right in the middle. And of course, that is what Jesus is saying. Uh, Peter likely had good intentions when he was going through this. Maybe he felt like, well, Jesus should not be doing that, that he should be doing it to Jesus, that he was the Son of God, which may be well-intentioned. And then maybe when Jesus said, I've got to do this if you're going to be with me, and and he was willing to just commit everything to it, uh, but either one of those is not exactly what Jesus was saying at this particular point in time. So I would say that Jesus wanted it done just right. Got another example. Go back to Exodus 16. Let's talk about the Israelites and when they received the manna wandering in the wilderness. Exodus chapter 16. You pay close attention to the instructions that God gave them. Of course, as happens many times, they're kind of complaining that they're out there and they're hungry and they're thirsty. We'll look at an example of that here in a minute that caused something else to happen. Uh, but right now they're, they're hungry and God's going to give them some food. And one of the things that he gives them, of course, is the manna. Verse 4 in Exodus chapter 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. And then important next verse. Uh, says that I may, or next portion of the verse, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Uh, I'll just point out, I'm reading from the English Standard Version this evening, if you're wondering if you're says something slightly different in, in these verses. Um, but God wants to test them, gathering a day's portion every day. But then look at verse 5. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. And probably most of us here are very familiar with this particular story. And I think we all know what some of them did to those instructions. Uh, if you go up or on over to the verse 15, uh, it says, When the people of Israel saw it, they said, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord had commanded. Gather of it each of you as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. Uh, And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. And each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Going on, verse 19. Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. Why was that a command? Why did Moses remind them of that? Because God told them to take exactly what they needed for that day. To test them, to trust that the next day he was going to provide food for them, and the next day, and the next day, and so on. And can you imagine being in their shoes where maybe they had been hungry, maybe they had a day or two where they didn't have any food. And some of them, again, well-intentioned, might have been proactive. Uh, I'm going to gather gather twice as much just to make sure we have some for tomorrow. But that is not what God told them to do. By taking it uh, in their own uh, way, they were going beyond the commandment of God. Look at verse 20, keep reading, it says, They did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it till morning. And something kind of gross happened to it. It says it bred worms and stank overnight. So God caused it to, you know, spoil and, and be where it was unedible. And Moses was angry with them for not following the commands or not trusting the commands that God had given them. It says, Morning by morning they gathered, each as much as he could eat, verse 21, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. Then we get to verse 22. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And I think 
We all probably know that the reason for that is the seventh day, Sabbath day was going to be a day of rest to not do work. And they were supposed to then, on that day, gather twice as much. And can you imagine what some of them probably were thinking, now wait a minute, we gathered twice as much a different day and it kind of got disgusting and gross. Now we're supposed to gather twice as much. And some of them did, uh, but some did not. Uh, let's see, uh, verse 23, he said to them, this is what the Lord commanded, tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So this day is different than the other ones. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them. And guess what? It did not stink and there were no worms in it. Move on down. Uh, verse 27 though, what did some people do? On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Moses' response in verse 28 how long, or this is the Lord saying to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? So there was a balance there between the different days of the week as to how much they were supposed to take. They had to do things just right according to the commandments of God. Not more, not less, depending on the day that it was. A couple more examples. I think we're all probably very familiar with the story of Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings 5. Naaman had a skin disease. Some will say, some translations say leprosy. Uh, and he went to go get some help. He went down uh, to Elisha. Uh, he had been given some advice. He says, a man of God will be able to help you. Uh, he can do, do great things. And so Naaman does that. And the commandment, uh, I'm going to read in verse 10, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 10, says, Elisha sent a messenger saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. Naaman's response, he was angry. He did not like that commandment at all. He thought that there were different rivers that were cleaner and better that he could wash in than just the Jordan River. He says in verse 12, uh, thankfully he had some really good servants that talked him into still doing it. Uh, and we can read there, and verse 14 says, he went down, dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like that of a little child, and he was clean. Think about some questions here. Would the other rivers had worked if he had gone and washed in them? God said, go in the Jordan. Of course, we all know the answer to that is no. How about less than seven times? What if he had gone there and done once and said, yeah, it didn't work? Maybe three or four or five, maybe even six times he had done it. And after six, this is, this is kind of ridiculous. My skin is not getting any better. All right, that would be coming up short from the commands of God. It took seven times for that uh, to actually cleanse his skin. Uh, what if he did nothing at all? What if he came up with some other plan? None of those things was going to work. He had to do exactly uh, what God had said. He had to do it, of course, just right is the title of the lesson. Think about Jericho. The, you can call it the battle. It wasn't much of a battle. Go to Joshua chapter 6, similar to, to Naaman here. God, again, gives them some instructions about how they're going to take the city of Jericho. If you've not read this account real carefully, you, you might be a little bit surprised at how many times they were supposed to march around. Um, it says, sometimes we overlook this point. It says, verse 3, you shall march around the city all the men of the war going around the city once. This shall you do for six days. So the first six days, one time. 
And it says, you shall march around the city, all the men of the war. Oh, I said there already. Sorry. Verse 4. Uh, seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day, the instructions change just a little bit. You shall march around the city seven times. And the priest shall blow the trumpets, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and then the walls of the city will fall down flat. So there's a lot more to this seventh day. We all know that's exactly what they did because the walls fell down. Marched one time for six days. Seventh day, they marched seven times around. Then they blew the trumpets, they shouted, and that's exactly what God told them to do. Of course, I'll ask some questions, somewhat rhetorical questions. I think we know the answers. What if they had done all 13 times on that last day? Still 13 times. That's not what God said to do. What if on the seventh day, they'd only done it one time like they did the other six days? I don't think God would have been very pleased with that. Think back to the manna. That's not, if, if the commandments are different on different days, that's what God expects you to do. What if on the seventh day, they had come up short, only done six times? Maybe they lost count or thought they lost count and did eight or nine times before they blew the ram's horn and shouted. Hopefully they had a good counter going around there because running laps is kind of exhausting and hard to keep track of. Uh, But none of those is exactly what God commanded. And so it had to be exactly that way uh, for those walls to fall down. Uh, There are lots of examples in the Bible of people not following God's commands and the the result not happening uh, from what God said was going, going to be done. Of course, it had to be done just right. One more example, in Noah, Genesis chapter 6, we all know Noah, and the instructions for building the ark that God gave him. Genesis chapter 6, we'll start with verse 14, God's giving instructions to Noah, uh, telling him what's going to happen. It says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and out with pitch. And this is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark. Finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark on its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. It's a lot of instructions, a lot of plans. And we know that Noah did exactly that. The ark was very well uh, suited for the flood. They were in the ark about a year, uh, had all all those animals and everybody in it that was in it. Uh, But what if Noah had decided to use a different wood? God said, in most translations, say gopher wood. What if Noah decided, well, I got to walk a little bit further. It's harder to use. I don't know exactly what wood that is, but clearly God wanted him to use that. There was rooms. What does he cover it with? The size of it. All those things were very important to God. And if you read in verse 22 of chapter 6, it says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. He did it just right. So to go with the title of the lesson, to be just right is to do exactly what God says. Before we get into some wrongs, uh, some other verses I'd like you to sort of consider before we move forward. We already read Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. But if you go a little bit past that, just another chapter or so into Deuteronomy chapter 5, you get a very similar statement. This is Moses giving some instructions, actually sandwiched in between these two is the Ten Commandments and some other commands. Uh, Much of 
this portion of the Old Testament is commands from, from God to Moses to give to the people. But in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 31, it says, But you stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment in the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them, that they may do them in the land that I'm giving you to possess. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Be careful not to go right or left. As we already read, do not add or subtract. Do exactly as the Lord says. There's a verse in Proverbs, a couple of verses. I'm going to go to Proverbs chapter 30. Echoes some similar thoughts here. Proverbs 30, verses 5, says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Verse 6 says, Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. Then you can go to the very end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, almost the last couple verses that we have in the entire Bible. And this is probably more specifically talking about the book of Revelation uh, itself, even though it's kind of the end of of how we organize the Bible. Uh, But he says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book in this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. It is a very serious thing to add or subtract from God's words. And Revelation is one of the books that really has, people have a hard time. They want to sort of take their own interpretations, and it's probably one of the most misunderstood and misused books in the Bible. Uh, definitely is a challenging one to study, but we need to be careful not to add or take away from the message of that particular book. And you might be thinking, well, all right, so we want to go right down the middle. We don't want too extreme on this side. We don't stream on this side. Um, is doing what God wants to do always right down the center? And that is not necessarily correct. All right, so I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. How can we know what God wants from us? Well, we have to read what the Bible says. Because the Laodiceans, if you read there in Revelation chapter 3, what was their problem? They were actually in the middle. They were lukewarm in the middle. And John says, I wish that you were hot or cold. I wish that you were some other extreme. We might be able to work with this. You're lukewarm. This is a much more challenging place to be in. So again, right down the middle is not exactly... Uh, where we need to be, depending on the situation and what the commandments are and what topic we are talking about. We must follow God's instructions to the detail, exactly. And you can read, again, through the, through the Old Testament, especially the first few books there, uh, this talks about some of the things that Moses and Aaron were, were given the instructions for building the Ark of the Covenant and things like that, and how detailed some of these things were, very detailed uh, if you read through this, and these verses talk about that they did everything according to the pattern that God showed them. They were very meticulous in doing those details. And of course, that pleased the Lord whenever they did that. All right, well, what is not right? That would be a wrong. If you are not just right, then you are, in my opinion, and I think the Bible's opinion, in the wrong. Let's look at some examples of how we can be wrong before we get into some applications. First, and probably the simplest, um, the opposite of right is wrong. We have many commands in the Bible to do this or don't do that. And of course, if you do the opposite of that, 
that is wrong. That's a pretty clear cut. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that one, but some examples. The Israelites had the Ten Commandments. A lot of those were, do not do this. Uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of times he says, do not do this, and, and just gives that straight warning. And so if you do that thing, then you are contradicting, going against God's word. But what about almost? We're going to sing uh, Almost Persuaded here in, in a little bit. Um, this is not, of course, the Bible, but the, the verses here, especially the third one, uh, should get your attention. I'm going to read it before we sing it a little bit later. It says, Almost persuaded, uh, doom comes at last. Almost cannot avail. Almost is but to fail. Sad, sad, that bitter wail. Almost, but lost. Almost is not all the way. It's not where it needs to be. The uh, thought behind this song, I think, comes from uh, Paul dealing with King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, where he's talking to several people being put on trial about being a Christian and King Agrippa. And some of the translations will say, it says something effective. Paul, do you, all, you know, almost persuade me to become a Christian? Like, I'm thinking about it, or you're trying to make me there? He was not at this particular point in time, or he would have said that he wanted to be. He was not quite there. He was almost. I don't know what happened to Agrippa. Uh, we're not told. But clearly he was not committed at that particular point in time. Think about the rich young ruler we can read about. One of the places is in Matthew chapter 19. He comes to Jesus and saying, Jesus, what, what do I need to do to go to heaven? And then starts listing lots of things that he does. Let me get there and I'll read them. And there are lots of good things in chapter 19 of Matthew. It says, what good must I do in verse 16 to have eternal life? Jesus says, why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, commit adultery, steal, bear false witness, honor father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said, well, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? He was sort of, it seemed like he knew possibly Maybe he was hoping for a compliment of, no, you don't lack anything. But he asked the question, and the response was, well, you do lack something. Jesus said, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Unfortunately, at this particular point in time, the young man heard this, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He did not want to hear that. He was almost, but Jesus said, you have to do this one thing. What about the other side of it? What about extra, going ahead, going beyond? Verse Corinthians 4, verse 6. We get a warning here from Paul. 1 Corinthians 4, 6 says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Do not go beyond. 2 John 1, 9, again, very similar statement that we can read. This is John writing. He says, 
Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Uh, Some of the other translations might say going too far or transgressing, going beyond, going ahead. Um, All that kind of implies the same thing. If you think about some of the first examples that we talked about uh, of coming up short or going over and beyond uh, with the manna, with Naaman, with uh, Joshua going around Jericho and how it had to be exactly right. It couldn't be uh, too far on either side of it. Here's one way to be wrong. What about, well, the last time it was this, or it used to be this way? Uh, And I think the greatest example for me is the classic example here of Moses getting water from the rock. In Exodus chapter 17, we're going to read about two different accounts here. Uh, Again, this is where the Israelites were doing some complaining. Uh, This is shortly after the manna. Now they're thirsty. They have the food, now they need some water. Um, and Moses goes to the Lord and says, what, what can I do here? In verses uh, 1 through 6 here in, in chapter 17 of Exodus, uh, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says, all the congregation of the people moved on from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord. Uh, it says, I'm going to sh- shorten up a little bit, there was no water for the people to drink. Uh, verse Move on down to verse 5. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders, and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile. Now, that's an important detail. All right, earlier in the, the plagues, he hit the, hit the water with the staff. So let's get that in the back of your mind as we go forward here. Verse 7, and he called the name... Uh, sorry, verse 6. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Oreb, and you shall strike the rock. So again, with the staff, strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Fast forward to Numbers chapter 20. If you're reading it, you may think it was sort of maybe a different account of, of the same event. But it's actually a, a different event that's very similar in Numbers chapter 20. Again, they're complaining. They want water. Uh, this time, the instructions were a little bit different. I'm going to read in verse 8. Uh, verse 7 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, in verse 8, Take the staff, assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Did you catch the difference? Tell the rock, talk to the rock, command the rock. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Verse 10, Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and said, Here now you rebels, which is kind of ironic about what's about to happen. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Moses lifted up his hand and he struck the rock. Not once, but twice. Just for good measure, I guess. Um, And water came out. Actually, what was supposed to happen still happened. Look at verse 12, though. God was not pleased. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold, uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Moses disobeyed God right there. It was, seems like a very small detail. And he might have thought, well, the last time I did it, I had to hit the rock, and I've been doing that with, with other things. And he 
for some reason, did not completely heed that particular command this time. And it actually cost him getting to go into the promised land. He gets to see it, but he does not get to enter it over that particular disobedience. In the last time it used to be, sometimes the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, you can read there in Hebrews chapter 8 about Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. It's a better covenant than the old covenant. John 12, 48 says that the words of Jesus will judge us, not the words of Moses or anybody else. Uh, God has the right to change his commands. Did he trick Moses? Was, was he kind of cruel and, and unfair to Moses when he was getting the rock? Or was it just pretty simple if... Moses had listened to God and done exactly what he said, he wouldn't have had to worry about being in the wrong. So we got to be careful um, through, throughout the Bible as to what is this passage talking about. Things were different in the Garden of Eden. Things were different when they got out of the Garden. Things were different under uh, the old law for the Israelites. Things were different for other nations. And now everything is under the new law of the New Testament and the law of Jesus Another way to not be just right, the last one I'm going to talk about is thinking that, well, my way is better, or I think. And we saw some examples of that already. Moses did that just in the previous passage. Think about Naaman, thinking that there was a better way to go about doing it. Uh, Proverbs 14, 12, very important verses. There is a way that seems right to a man, but that way is death. So we don't want to go what is right in our own eyes. Of course, Isaiah 55, chapters... Or chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. We'll turn to it so I read it exactly right. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Our thoughts compared to God's thoughts, it's not even a contest. God's way is just right. Some of this seems kind of picky. Does it really matter? And I would say that based on the examples that we've looked at already, and there are many other examples, it does matter to God. Last thing I want to talk about before I wrap, as I wrap up my lesson here is some applications that we can use to this concept. Uh, quickly, there are kind of three areas I want us to think about. Our worship, the Lord's Supper, and then salvation. Are we doing these things just right based on God's word? The first one uh, we can read in 1 Corinthians 14. And this is Paul correcting the Corinthians, which he was doing a lot of in 1 Corinthians, about things that they weren't doing right. And this is uh, about their use of miraculous gifts, speaking in tongues and, and using prophecies. And I'm not going to, you can read this, a pretty long reading. I'm just going to summarize here a little bit. But they were doing things incorrectly. They were being selfish. They were all talking at once. It was somewhat chaotic. And Paul's saying, don't do that. We need order. We need structure in here. Uh, he says that he'd rather speak five words to instruct them than 10,000 in a tongue that's useless. Uh, notice that he doesn't completely ban the speaking in tongues, though. He doesn't go to that extreme. He says, I still want you to use them. Just take turns, maybe a couple, two or three, every time you meet. Uh, make sure that it's clear. Make sure there's someone there to interpret the language so everybody can be edified uh, and it's not confusing. And so, again, think, think about the just right. They don't want any extreme. We don't want to not do it. We don't want to just everybody do it. It needs to be done in order. And, of course, verse 40 that I really want to focus on 
as he summarizes this section, says, but all things should be done decently and in order, or as the title of my lesson is, just right. Of course, we know that the gifts have ceased. You can read about that at the end of 1 Corinthians. We don't have those particular gifts anymore, so we don't have to worry about that. But the principles of orderly worship still apply. One thing we do here still is taking the Lord's Supper. I want to talk about when we take it and why do we take it when we take it. Go to Luke chapter 22. Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. In verse 19 of Luke 22, says, Jesus took bread when he had given thanks. He broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's a pretty straightforward command. Do this. So I've just listed some random periods of time up here from one extreme to the other, never to constantly. Uh, We're going to eliminate some of these as we go through the next few verses here. Uh, When Jesus says to do it, that eliminates never, right? Clearly we have to do it. So to say that I'm never going to take the Lord's Supper is not following Jesus' command. Go back to 1 Corinthians. I told you to stay there. In chapter 11, he's giving some instructions about... Again, how they were taking the Lord's Supper and several things they were doing about it was incorrectly. But there are some things we can gather from from this still. In verse 26, he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And the word often here um, sort of implies that it's going to be more than once. It's a repeated process. So we can eliminate one time in our life, maybe uh, when I get baptized, instead of being a Christian, I'll take the Lord's Supper and then I'm good for the rest of my life. Maybe I'm on my deathbed, I need to take that Lord's Supper before I die. That is not what Paul teaches here. He is um, echoing some prior teachings, I would assume, of them gathering together and frequently partaking of the Lord's Supper. They weren't doing it all correctly, but at least they were coming together in that attempt and hopefully going to change up some of their practices. Look at verse 20. Some other aspects of the Lord's Supper are when you, not just when you take it, but who do you take it with and what do you take it with? I'm not going to get into all that. Uh, those are important specifics as well. But he does say when you come together, and he's going to correct them. He says you're not doing it correctly. But he does say when you come together, which to me can eliminate constantly. And you might think, well, the Lord's Supper is pretty important. Why don't we just always be doing it? Uh, if that was the case... Paul wouldn't have said come together because that implies that we're not together, then together, not together, then together, kind of going our own ways and then coming back together as a group. So we can eliminate constantly from that. If you go back to Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, we're going to narrow this down real quickly here. Acts, of course, many uh, good details about how the early church and the Christians were supposed to conduct themselves and things that they were doing. Acts 20, verse 7 says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, and it says Paul talked to them. Uh, I'm not going to go to midnight. I know it's getting close up there. Uh, First preachers probably shouldn't pick out, right? Um, But first day of the week is what I want to focus on on this one. And the first day of the week is Sunday, if you look at your calendars and some other ways uh, in the Bible can tell us that. 
In 1 Corinthians 16, too, it talks about the collection being done on the first day. In many translations, even say every week. Very similar language, but it even points out that it's every week that they are to have a collection made. And if you think back to the, the Sabbath day, when God told the Israelites to keep the Sabbath holy, how many Sabbaths was he talking about? All of them, right? Every single week, every six days was a Sabbath. They weren't to take it just once a month or observe the Sabbath once a month or once a year. They had to do it every single week. And therefore, we can conclude that the Lord's Supper, uh, because it's met on the first day of the week, which is all of them, not just some special ones, we take the Lord's Supper weekly. And if we can do that, then we can easily eliminate all the others because we know exactly what the the specifics to the Lord's Supper are, which is what we do here uh, at Northfield. We take the Lord's Supper every single Sunday. So every Sunday to me, according to the Bible, is just right for the Lord's Supper. And finally, how do we get saved? There's a lot of verses up here. I'm not going to take the time to read it because I'm probably way over time. Uh, I tend to over-prepare, but that's okay. Um, Plan of salvation, lots of verses up here, and you might sort of say, well, that's a lot of things. It is a lot of things. And all of these talk about, in some way, being saved, getting to heaven, eliminating sin. Uh, and which of these are right? Do we just need to hear the word and have some faith? Do we need to repent of sins and not sin? Should we confess publicly that Jesus uh, is the Son of God and our Savior? Should we be baptized? Do we have to do good works? Uh, and on and on the list goes. And the really easy answer for this is all of them. All of them together is just right, according to the Bible, according to the New Testament. And because I knew this was going to be long, if you would like more reading on that, um, there's a really great article on our website, godsredeemed.org, uh, by our brother David Creech. He's written this uh, on there, and it's Bible Salvation, if you can see that, but it's about right there on the page. Uh, and it's a really good article that says all of this in a whole lot more detailing how to be saved uh, according to the Bible. So, thank you for your patience and listening, your great audience. Best audience, our school starts tomorrow. I'm a teacher. It'll be the best audience I have all year. I can guarantee you that. Uh, so... Appreciate that. Uh, but are you doing things just right? Are you worshiping God correctly? Are you living your life um, according to the Bible? And have you been saved? Final verse, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture comes from God. I'm going to summarize this. For teaching, training, so man may be complete. Or in other words, they may be just right. If you are not just right with God, uh, if you need to make yourself right with God, uh, almost is not going to be good enough. Uh, if you need to have prayers made for you, we can do that. We can have Bible studies if you're interested in Bible studies. Uh, we can even baptize you into Christ this evening to wash away your sins. So if we can help you in any way this evening, please come forward. Have a seat in the front pew while we stand and sing.